This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Since last fall, residents of Iqaluit have faced uncertainty over the city's water supply. The problem, sparked by the discovery of fuel in the water, has left residents in the remote community wary of officials and demanding transparency about how this happened. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Emma Tranter, who covers Iqaluit for the Canadian press, joins me to discuss how the discovery was made, why there's a lack of trust among people in Iqaluit, and why they could be waiting for answers. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you'd leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Emma, for nearly two months last year, residents of Iqaluit were told not to drink the city's tap water due to possible contamination. When was the contamination first discovered and how was it actually noticed? Was it a a smell? Was it testing done? How did we discover what was going on with Iqaluit's water? So it was a smell. It was residents in Iqaluit who first discovered there could potentially be fuel in the water. So as early as October 2nd last year, residents started posting on the community's Facebook group saying they smelled fuel in the water. And it really just kind of exploded from there every day after the second. There were more and more posts from people saying they smelled a fuel smell in their tap water. And so obviously that caught the attention of the city, who eventually looked into it. But we didn't actually get confirmation that there was fuel in the water until a couple of weeks later. So it was residents of Iqaluit that put up that red flag saying, hey, we smell fuel. What's going on here? It took a couple of weeks to discover that the contamination was fuel. Do we know where it was coming from? And how soon after residents started raising the alarm about a smell in the water, was it before people were told, don't drink the water? Yeah, so it took 10 days exactly before the do not consume order was issued by Nunavut's Department of Health. So for those kind of 10 days, we were told... We're doing testing. Uh, Everything is coming back clean. The water is drinkable. The mayor himself tweeted, the water is drinkable. The water is safe. All of our tests are coming back clean. And so that kind of quieted things for a bit. But then on October 12th, the city of Iqaluit and the Nunavut government had an emergency meeting. And that evening around 6 p.m., a do not consume order was issued. And so from then People were told not to drink their tap water, and we still weren't really sure exactly where the contamination was coming from. That came later, and so we were just, all we were told was, you can't drink the tap water. And then on October 15th, we did get test results from the city saying there are traces of fuel in the water, and for now, we're going to continue with the do not consume order. Most of our listeners and most Canadians in general probably take for granted The fact that when they turn on their taps, water comes out. Firstly, for people who don't know much about Iqaluit, are we talking about a water system that's fully integrated with pipes running from treatment plants directly to homes? 
or are there other water delivery mechanisms in place? And second, what was the reaction in the community to this news that their drinking water was potentially unsafe due to fuel in the water? Yeah, so as for the system that we use here in Akalawi, there is a water treatment plant kind of on the top of the hill in the city. It's one of the things you can see from the airport and pipes flow down from that to people's homes in the city. But there are areas of town where people are on trucked water. So they don't have piping right into their homes. They get water through trucks. The city collects water from the plant and they get daily water delivery. So the same actually goes with sewage. There are people who are on trucked sewage here. So it's not the whole city is on a distribution system. There are people who get water delivered. So that's one thing. And then the reaction of people, I think mostly the reaction was shock and fear and just concern for people's health. You know, people who have young children, women who are pregnant. There were a lot of people I talked to who were really scared. Hearing that there's fuel in the water is something that I don't think anybody really imagines. And given the fact, too, that people had been smelling it for quite a while before the do not consume order was issued, people just had a lot of questions. So people were really, really worried when this information came out. How quickly was it before the issue was resolved in the fall? It was about two months that they couldn't drink their tap water, but was it that amount of time before the levels were thought to be safe or or how was the issue resolved? And I understand that the problem cropped up again early this year. How long was it before Iqaluit residents noticed this issue again? Yeah. So as you said, it was about two months, 60 days between the do not consume order in October. And then in mid-December, that order was lifted. And we were told, you know, a lot of things had happened between then that we had flushed the water system many, many times. The city had tried a bunch of different things. So we were finally told the tap water is safe. They hadn't changed anything about the way that the treatment plant operated at the time, but we were told it's been long enough now. We've done this amount of tests. Another thing they did actually was they installed a real-time monitoring system in the plant and at various locations where water was distributed in the city to monitor for fuel. So they were confident that the water was safe at that point. And then we had about five weeks of being able to drink the tap water, no fuel smell. And then on January 14th, people started smelling it again. Same thing as last time. People were posting on social media saying, hey, I smell fuel in my water again. Can this, is this even possible? And it was confirmed again just later that week that fuel had, in fact, entered the water supply again, despite the do not consume order. Uh, being lifted just five weeks before. And despite the reappearance of fuel and the fuel smell in the water, was the drinking water labeled unsafe? Were people told once again to stop drinking tap water? No. So this time we were told there were trace amounts of fuel that had entered the system in the plant itself. And that was detected on this real-time monitoring system. This is what the city has been telling us. And so the levels were so low that they didn't actually set off this alarm that this system has for detecting fuel because they were low. And the other thing the city and the Nunavut government keep reiterating here is there are Canadian drinking water guidelines for fuel and what acceptable amount of fuel is okay to consume. And none of these levels 
have gone beyond those Canadian drinking water guidelines. And so that's something that people keep repeating here in this situation. But no, there was no do not consume order issued. What actually happened instead was on January 19th, just five days later, the city installed a bypass system at the water treatment plant. And that actually bypassed the tanks completely. And so now that's where we're getting our water. It's kind of like getting water directly from a lake uh, and then it's being chlorinated and distributed to residents. So it's safe to drink, but it's avoiding the treatment plant completely. We'll be right back. What's been the reaction of residents to the second occurrence and then the messaging that they're getting from health officials and politicians? Yeah, I think there's a lot of mistrust and a lot of, again, concern with this situation. And I wouldn't put any blame on any of the parties involved. But I think now people are taking a very critical look at the city and the Nunavut government and the way that they handled this problem, particularly because it happened twice. And so I think there are a lot of people in town who still are skeptical of the water. There are a lot of people who are drinking water straight from the river. They're going out to the Sylvia Grinnell River outside of town and still collecting water from there because they don't trust the tap water. So it's created a lot of concern. People were definitely shocked the second time around. But I do think this bypass system has alleviated that concern a little bit because we know that uh, we're not using the plant to treat the water, which was the main issue in these both of these circumstances where fuel was detected was in the plant itself. Do we know how the fuel got from an underground fuel tank into the water treatment plant? So the main theory is that fuel leached into the concrete of one of the water tanks in the treatment plant. I'm not a a soil expert or a concrete expert, so I can't really go too far into how that would actually work. But I've spoken to a couple of experts who have said, you know, it would need to be quite a a large spill and take quite a bit of time for that to actually happen. And so that's still the working theory is it kind of leached through the concrete from this underground tank that was buried next to the water treatment plant. But we, we won't know that for sure, really, until the Nunavut government completes this third-party investigation that's currently ongoing, that's looking into how that all happened, and if that, in fact, was the source of contamination, and how that spill went unnoticed for so long, if that, in fact, was what happened. Now, obviously, when a crisis like this breaks out, government and health officials are, you know, they're working on the fly to address public concerns and trying to fix the problem. As part of your reporting, you had filed a freedom of information request with regard to what was going on behind the scenes. What did those emails reveal about what the government was doing and what messaging they were trying to get out to the public or what communications were going on behind the scenes? It was interesting to see the emails between the Nunavut government and the city of Iqaluit because they were really dealing with a problem here that I don't think anyone really fully understood or knew how to deal with. 
it's not every day that you f- see fuel in the water. And it, again, because we didn't know the source of contamination or the extent of contamination, yeah, it was a really difficult situation. And so what I saw in those emails was a lot of back and forth between the city and the government here on how to handle the situation. A lot of it had to do with communicating to the public on how this all happened, public messaging to put out. It was so important in those early days to keep the communication really consistent. So there was debate over things like if you empty your water tank and refill it with water from the river, should you clean your tank? Like, could there still be fuel remnants on your your water tank? All those things that you don't really think about. And so there was a lot of back and forth between the two of them, mostly about communication and how to talk to the public about this problem without creating too much fear or mistrust and being really careful about wording. And so it was interesting to see the background behind that because it really was a crisis and it really was difficult to address. And so I think it was good for the public to see that how all of that messaging came together. You said that there's a bypass system in place now that allows the water supply to bypass the water treatment plant. That's a short-term fix, I assume. What's the long-term fix to assure water security here? And what's the cost? And ultimately, who's footing the bill for that? Is that the feds? Is that the territorial government? First of all, uh, the the city has been asking for funding for a new water infrastructure in the city for a very long time. We've had water issues for years. And so the mayor, Kenny Bell, has been really vocal about the need for new water infrastructure. And I think this crisis really just kind of put him in the driver's seat, really, of making this happen. And so the federal government just announced on April 1st that the city will be getting $214 million to basically fix the water treatment plant, get a new water reservoir, and a whole new distribution system. So this infrastructure here is really old, and so that $214 million will update it and hopefully resolve this problem so it doesn't happen again. When is that expected to all be complete by? They are saying right now it's going to take about four years for all of that to happen. So not anytime soon, (laughs) but um, the work is beginning, we've been told. And you mentioned a third party investigation into what happened being enacted by the territorial government. When do we expect that that will be completed? And what exactly are they looking at? Just kind of the source of the leak, how it got in there and what measures were in place to potentially prevent that? Or or what is it? What's the scope of that investigation? Yeah, the scope is pretty broad. They're looking at all of those things and also whether the city and the Nunavut government responded appropriately. They're really evaluating whether the right steps were taken. And then, yeah, the source of the contamination and how it reappeared. So it's a pretty broad look. There's no timeline for when we'll see that report yet. I would imagine that it would be in fairly short order. These types of investigations seem to go fairly quickly, but I could be wrong about this one. And maybe it'll take a lot longer, but I would imagine we would see it fairly soon. There are limits to it. It's not a a public inquiry, which a lot of people in the city are calling for. Our own MP, Lori Idlaut, has called for a public inquiry into the crisis. So that is still something that people are wanting to see. I don't know if the government and the city will agree to that, but that is something that people are discussing. 
I mean, what would be the hope of a public inquiry that, you know, there could be broader recommendations made or would have the power to call witnesses, things like that, that I guess people would feel that you'd get a more truthful retelling of what happened here? Yeah, exactly. I mean, this impacted, you know, 8,000 people in this capital city for two months and then it happened again. So I think people are really wanting to see this investigation happen out in the open and hear from everybody involved. We'll see what happens there. But I do think that people are really feeling like there's more to be addressed here and more to be looked at than just a third party investigation ordered by the government. We'll see what happens. No one has agreed to host a public inquiry yet, but there are kind of rumblings. And again, with the MP requesting it, potentially we could see that move forward, but we haven't seen it yet. Well, I know it's something that we'll be watching very closely for in the coming weeks and months. Emma, thanks very much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. 10.3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest Emma Tranter of the Canadian Press. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.